Welcome back to the Bitcoin Layer. I'm Nick Batia. Today, I have a very important episode for you guys about repo. Why is understanding repo so important? We're going to break down some of the key concepts. We're also going to talk about the Fed's reverse repo facility. We're going to explain a very important concept in financial theory called maturity transformation and what that means with regard to repo. And finally, we're going to talk about treasury yields, what's going on in markets. First things first, let's bring up this chart. Why are we here today talking about repo and reverse repo? Well, this is the chart that has been in the headlines day after day, the falling balance at the Fed's reverse repo facility. We're going to break it all down for you what it means right here. But first, I want to show you guys the declining balance here. So $936 billion, this is as of Friday, November 17th. The Fed is seeing this repo facility decline in usage as a result of a few things, one being quantitative tightening, the wind down of the Fed's balance sheet, but also in where we are in the life cycle of interest rates, as well as what's going on at the Treasury Department and the U.S. government fiscal situation. So a lot of moving pieces, and let's break it down. Today's episode is sponsored by River. River is a Bitcoin-only exchange and what we believe to be the best in the business. River does not use a third-party custodian, and this is key for you guys to understand. When you buy Bitcoin through River's platform, you are not sending the Bitcoin out to another company. River keeps that Bitcoin in a multi-signature cold storage solution. And not only that, they encourage you to get your coins off of River's exchange as soon as possible. So advocating for self-custody. We love that. Go check them out today, river.com slash TBL for a special offer. Okay, let's take the chart off the screen and get back to basics and explain repo. I've explained repo as the pawn shop for bonds. So the collateralized lending market, right? Take gold to a pawn shop and get a loan out against it. If you fail to pay the loan, the pawn shop keeps your gold. If you pay the loan back, you get your gold back. The repo market is the same thing. It is the collateralized lending market for treasuries. So that's the key to understanding what repo is, but there's so much more to unpack. And I want to get into a key concept called maturity transformation today, but not just yet. So stick with me here. So repo is the collateralized lending market. But what does the Fed have to do with repo? Now, let's go back a few years to the Fed introducing its first ever repo facilities and formally entering the repo market as a lender. Now, think about it like this, guys. When we got the financial crisis in 07 to 09, what did the Fed do? The Fed came in as the lender of last resort to lend to all sorts of counterparties, banks, as well as the U.S. government via quantitative easing programs. It didn't finance it directly, but the Fed, when they purchase treasury securities, what they're doing is essentially holding the debt of the U.S. government so that the private market doesn't have to. Now, in semantics, we can call this monetizing the debt, 
But because the Fed doesn't show up directly to the treasury auctions, it can get away with saying that it's not monetizing the debt. But that's a conversation for another day. Okay, so the Fed is the lender of last resort, right? The Fed comes in and lends money to the private sector when it needs to, when it when the private sector is in crisis, and when it can't get funding from elsewhere. So what happened in September of 2019? We had a repo crisis where there were some counterparties, some banks or some financial counterparties that could not find lending for treasury securities, meaning that one party could not find a place to go post those treasury securities and get liquidity. This is a big problem because one should be able to take treasury securities to any party in the financial market and get liquidity because it's a collateralized loan. If that bank failed to pay back the loan, the lender would be able to keep the treasuries, sell them in the open market, and recover all and if not more than the amount that it lent out. This is called over-collateralized lending. So what happened in September 2019? Somebody could not post those treasuries, and the Fed had to come in and save the day. What happened in the subsequent months and years? The Fed understood that not only did it have to be prepared to come in and lend money in the repo market in an emergency, but that it actually needed a permanent facility to lend in the repo market. That way, in that way, the Fed is the lender of last resort in the treasury repo market so that any bank or financial institution that needed liquidity for treasuries could get it from the Fed. And this is now an important part of the Fed's arsenal to control monetary policy and to prevent financial crisis. So the Fed is a very different animal than it was 15 years ago before all of the financial crises really started to get underway. And we are approaching now the 15-year anniversary of the 2008 financial crisis and quantitative easing programs that happened in the early months of 2009 as well uh, as late 2008. So now we know the Fed is a permanent institution in the treasury repo market on the lending side, meaning that the Fed can provide liquidity to any counterparty that has treasuries. But what about on the other side of the uh, repo situation? And that's where we get the reverse repo facility. What about counterparties, financial counterparties that have cash, not repo, but that have cash and are willing to lend into the repo market, but only want to do so on an overnight basis and do so with a safe counterparty and not a primary dealer, right? Primary dealers always need financing, but there are members of the financial community that are not necessarily ready to give all of their money overnight to one bank. They would rather do that with the Fed. And so what we see here is that now the Fed is in the repo market on both sides. It's a lender of cash and a lender of collateral, meaning a borrower of cash. So 
who does the Fed lend to in the standing repo facility? Which I described first, the Fed lends to banks that need money for treasuries, short-term basis. Who does the Fed lend collateral to or borrow cash from with the reverse repo facility? Money market funds. So who uses the reverse repo facility? It's money market funds that have cash and need overnight interest without much risk. And that's what the Fed provides them with the reverse repo facility. So now you guys are all caught up. The Fed is involved in the repo market on both sides, on the lending side and the borrowing side. And it does so in order to keep repo rates anchored to where Fed funds rates are. And Fed funds rates are targeting the rate at which banks lend reserves to each other. Okay, and we'll explain that a little bit more as we go here. Okay, the last thing I want to explain before we get some numbers back here on the screen is the idea of maturity transformation. Maturity transformation is really important to understand. I keep saying that, but I really want you guys to prepare yourselves for the role that repo plays in the entire capital market and investment landscape. And this process of maturity transformation is what underpins it. Now, let's have a pretend bond, right? We've been talking about treasury securities for a long time here, but let's just pretend that we have a, a, muni a municipality or a state that issues a bond to build a bridge. One of the most basic uses for long-term capital at governments, right? Infrastructure projects. Now, the bridge is going to cost a few billion dollars, and the state doesn't have the cash, so it needs to raise money in the bond. How is the state going to pay back investors a toll on the bridge? So over the next 30 years, this bridge is going to attract revenue for the state through the toll, and the state will be able to use the proceeds of the toll to pay back the lender for the bridge. So the state issues a bond, let's call it $5 billion, and the bond is a 30-year bond. Now, a bank comes in and says, okay, I will help you bring this bond to the capital market, and I will agree to purchase $1 billion of this bond right at the beginning right when you issue it. So I will take down 20% of the issue and I will go out into the market and we do what's called a road show and we go and visit different investment managers and we explain to them, here's the bond, here's the interest rate. It's a positive spread to other competitive bonds. And so we think you should buy it and we think that the credit worthiness of the state is sound because this bridge connects two important places. We believe the toll revenue over the life cycle of this bond will more than pay for the interest income. Okay, so the bank brings the bond to the market. Now the market comes and takes down this bond and let's say here, pretend that two billion of the bond left over, right? Remember, it's a 5 billion bond in total. 1 billion goes to the bank. So there's 4 billion the market needs to get and take down. 2 billion goes to long-term investors 
and $2 billion goes to short-term investors that are actually believing that this bond can make them money in the short term, not just over the 30-year time horizon, but that the bond can actually appreciate over the next one year as people realize that the creditworthiness of this bond is sound. So $1 billion at the bank, $2 billion in the short-term hedge fund world, let's say, and $2 billion in the long-term asset management world. So now you actually have $2 billion of this bond that's going to get tucked away. And what we assume here is that those long-term investors are going to sell $2 billion of treasuries that they've been holding as a placeholder and purchase this bond. So a downward pressure on treasuries in that scenario. But what about the other $3 billion? The $1 billion at the bank and the $2 billion at hedge funds. How do those participants take down this bond? And by take down, I mean purchase it. Where does the $3 billion come from? It comes from leverage. And this is where we get into repo and maturity transformation. So now let's take the, the hedge fund, $2 billion of this bond. The hedge fund goes to another bank and says, hey, I, wanna, I need $2 billion to purchase this bond. I want to only spend 25% down. So I have $500 million here that I'm willing to put up for this bond, but I need to borrow $1.5 billion for the bond. The bank, the next bank, the repo financing bank says, okay, pledge your $2 billion bond as collateral to me, and I will lend you $1.5 billion against that bond. I get the bond as collateral. The hedge fund keeps the economics of the bond, meaning if the rate goes down, the hedge fund is the one that makes money, right? The bank here is only the lender against the collateral here and holding the collateral, but it doesn't actually own the bond. The hedge fund still owns the bond, borrows 75% of the money, and never actually has to have $2 billion to buy this bond. They only need $500 million because the bank has provided them the financing. So what about the financing, though? What kind of arrangement is that? Well, $1.5 billion alone might mature every night, every week, or every month, and the bank will charge the hedge fund interest, but it never actually tries to collect the $1.5 billion that is basically floated from the bank to the hedge fund on an ongoing basis to finance the bond. So now what do you have? You have a hedge fund that is 75% paying for a bond through the repo market, but only borrowing the money one month at a time. So Maturity transformation means I am using repo financing. The bank has the money and is lending it to me 30 days at a time. And I'm taking that money and lending it to the state for 30 years. So the bank provides 30-day financing for a 30-year instrument and is therefore transforming maturity across decades through the repo market. So now let's think about it from the treasury perspective. 
Okay, so let's relate it back to the treasury market now and and throw away our bridge example. Now you have the U.S. government borrowing money for 30 years through 30-year bonds, using that money for whatever the government uses it for. But now that treasury security is being financed by the bank and by the hedge funds through the repo market and not at 75%, but at 97%. So most of the cash available for the short-term trading portion of the treasury market. Because remember, there are long-term holders of treasuries that have cash, buy the treasuries, tuck it away. Life insurance, for example. Pension funds, for example. These are what we call real money in asset management or cash buyers, right? They, they, use, they don't use leverage. They actually have the money and need the, the interest income for all of that money. They don't want to have negative interest income through the repo market, right? Because when you borrow money in the repo market, you can buy a bond, you get the bond's interest, but then you have to pay the interest of the repo loan. So you have a net carry. And in banking, we call this net interest margin. In asset management, we call this the positive carry. The positive carry comes from having a yield of your bond that's higher than your repo rate. And if as long as you have a positive difference, you are making money every day on an overnight basis on that security. And so banks love repo because it lets them do this basically inventory of bonds and make positive carry for free. And by free, I mean that they have the privilege of doing this as market makers. So if they have inventory of bonds, they're financing those bonds through the repo market so that they don't always have to have the cash to keep the inventory. And that's really uh, at the center here of understanding the impact of reverse repo on the broader market. You have to understand the diff- the, the relationship between inventory of bonds, of which there are multi-trillions of treasuries, corporate bonds, mortgage-backed securities, on down the line, asset-backed securities, all of these sectors use the repo market. Meaning when a bank has a thousand bonds in its inventory, some treasuries, some corporate bonds, some mortgage-backed securities, some emerging market bonds, some asset-backed securities, credit card receivables, auto loan receivables, most of those bonds are on collateral with another party and the bank is borrowing money to finance all that inventory. So I always try to think of it, imagine that the bank has no money to start the day and it must find the repo financing for any inventory of bonds that it wants to hold overnight. Okay, now you guys understand maturity transformation banking bond inventory and the repo market all as one. And so let's now bring back some charts onto the screen and explain what's going on in the money markets. Now, this first chart I have shows you several money markets by sector, by type. And let's start with the the smallest balance here on the screen. So the smallest balance here is about three quarters of a trillion dollars. That's this purple line. And that's the treasury's general account. This is the amount of cash that the 
the Fed holds for the U.S. government on at any particular moment. We've talked about this a lot at the Bitcoin layer over the past year with the, the debt ceiling drama and the Treasury general account falling uh, near zero. You see that at the end of 2021. Uh, you see it again, middle of 2023. So that was the most recent debt ceiling uh, debacle. And the Treasury has built up the cash a little bit. Now, why is this a type of liquidity? It's a type of liquidity because when the Treasury spends money, they're spending it into the economy. So when the Treasury spends down the balance, that is positive for cash coming into the system. Okay, so let's go to the next line, this gray line here at just under $1 trillion. That's the reverse repo facility. That is yet another Fed liability that is issued to money market funds. I'm going to skip over this light green line for a second, and I'm going to go to the dark green line at three and one third trillion dollars. These are bank reserves in the system. Again, the liability of the Fed. So I have three major Fed liabilities on the screen. The TGA, the reverse repo facility, RRP, and reserves. And as you can see, reserves at three and a third trillion, by and large, the largest sum of Fed liabilities here. Now, back to some other numbers here on the screen. 1.6 trillion in light green. This is the amount of treasury repo going through the dealer market, not lent by the Fed, meaning that this is private sector money going to banks to finance those banks' treasury inventory. Remember, we talked about banks having treasury inventory, but they don't have the money. Where does the money come from? The money comes from the repo market. And you might uh, have heard the word SOFR, S-O-F-R. This is the secured overnight funding rate. It is basically an average of treasury repo transactions. So SOFR is a treasury repo rate. And this number is the turnover, meaning how much inventory is getting financed every night, about $1.6 trillion. So, of course, the SOFR market, where banks are funding treasuries, is in competition with the reverse repo facility because the Fed is financing their treasuries. And the Fed, we know, doesn't need to finance their position. The Fed is just doing this as a policy. And so... When we see the two lines actually starting to cross here, and that is making a little bit of sense to us here, as banks are now uh, the recipient of more of that money market lending that was previously being parked at the Federal Reserve. Now, the black line, the black line is the supply of T-bills out in the market. So now this is a liability of the U.S. government. And at $5.5 trillion, this is uh, definitely starting to crowd out other money markets, a concept here that I think we should spend a second on. When I talk about crowding out, if there are more bills in the market and there are many ways for money market investors to invest, for example, this light green line, which is SOFR, which is giving that cash to banks to finance their treasury positions... If the T-bill rates are higher than the SOFR rates, money will flow into T-bills. If money flows into T-bills, it removes the marginal amount of money that banks can receive in the repo market through the SOFR market. 
So the amount of bills outstanding in the system is relevant for money markets. The orange line is the total assets under management of the money market fund complex, which basically means official money market mutual funds regulated by the SEC, U.S. US dollar denominated. And that's the orange line. Both of these numbers are somewhere between five and six trillion dollars. So the orange line is actually how much money is available for the black line, the light green line, the gray line. So there are uses of the money market funds. And that's why I want to show you all these numbers on the screen here together to show you that actually in between each one of these pairs of numbers, there is a relationship. There's a relationship between SOFR turnover and reverse repo. There's a a relationship, of course, between the number of bills outstanding and the treasury general account. When the treasury has to raise money, they have to issue bills to do that and build back up. You can see the, the purple line rising this year as the black line rises, right? Because the money has to come from somewhere. And so we have to observe all these numbers together just to get the context. But then on the next chart, I'll start to eliminate the number of moving parts here so that you can maybe see it a little bit more clearly. And what we've done is we've actually taken the three Fed liabilities and stacked them on top of each other so that you can see the Fed's balance sheet in this shaded portion here. So now you see here over the last couple years, the orange, black, and green is declining, right? The orange, black, and green is declining. That is the size of the Fed's liabilities. And the Fed's liability in total are shrinking. But I find it really fascinating right now to observe that it is the reverse repo facility that's declining, not the amount of reserves in the system. And this is something that I'm trying to understand a little bit better here. Why are reverse repo balances falling and not reserves here? And what does it mean for the whole uh, investment landscape that the black amount here is shrinking and what happens when it goes to zero, what happens to reserve. So we'll be continuing to watch that. But here's what I want to explain to you guys here about repo and bringing it all together. With less money available in the repo market, right? Reverse repo is shrinking here. Why? Because the Fed's balance sheet is re is reducing, so quantitative tightening is allowing treasuries to mature from the system. Those treasuries were held by banks previously, and so the banks have to write down something on their books when those treasuries mature. When the bank has to write down what asset it wants to go away from its balance sheet, the Banks right now would rather see the Fed destroy reverse repo than the Fed destroy reserves. So the bank actually increases the interest rate that it is willing to pay to clients like you and I so that we keep money at the bank and we don't keep that money at a money market fund that will take that money and put it maybe into reverse repo. So you see the chain reaction here. The banks are increasing deposit rates, long-term deposit rates like CD rates. That money 
is being attracted away from money markets, money market funds, into this particular money market of CDs at banks. And in that way, the amount of reserves in the system is staying flat, but the amount of reverse repo being used by money market funds is declining. And some of that money from the money market funds, as we saw here, the money market funds here now in gray, money market funds balances are still high. So that money is coming out of reverse repo and going where? Into treasury bills into CDs at directly at banks. So it's a shift in where the money is being stored in the money markets. So if there's less money available broadly from Fed liabilities, it means that the money in the money markets must find the best home for it. If there are too many treasury bills, those T-bill rates will be a little bit higher than other repo rates. Those repo rates will have to go up to attract money that was going previously into treasury bills. And so you can see now it's more of a game of musical chairs. Now, I want to mention to viewers and listeners here that we at the Bitcoin Layer publish a research publication. You guys can find it at the bitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe. And twice a week, we publish paid research. It's only $10 a month, so we really are making it accessible to everybody. And our goal there is to break down all of these numbers and go really in-depth on what is the impact on asset prices, right? We are not a trading service. We're an independent research shop that's trying to give you a leg up on asset allocation. And so we look at risk on, risk off, and when are times of risk on, when are times of risk off. And in our latest publication on reverse repo, we do get a little bit deeper into some of the chain reaction that will happen once repo starts to decline throughout the system. Really what we have to think about is back to the example of bank inventory. If there is less money to finance that inventory at the banks, what will happen in the bank inventory landscape and what is what is happening in inventory, how does that affect pricing in the market for the end user, which are asset managers? If the banks are less willing to hold inventory, what does that mean for prices? We get into all of that in our research publication. So thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe. We think you guys should go sign up for our paid product. It is one of the best in the business. We, we offer independent research that is non-hyperbolic. We're not looking for the end of the world. We're not looking for the end of the dollar. We're really just trying to break down money markets, rates, and what it all means for Bitcoin, Bitcoin adoption over the long term. Okay, done with the repo portion. Now let's get into markets here a little bit. We can see, of course, that treasury yields have struggled most of 2023, but they've had a little bit of a rally here in the past few weeks. So uh, look at what has happened uh, over the last couple weeks as after we hit 5%, yields are now closer to 4.5%, so a little bit of a rally. And I want to explain to you guys a, a really strongly held opinion that I have here, which is that yields will fall 
in a recession and yields will fall when things go wrong in the financial system. And I want us to remember what happened in March. And so I have this red first red arrow on the screen here to show you the move in yields after the Silicon Valley and Credit Suisse mini banking crisis and regional banking crisis that we had in March and April. Yields fell dramatically, sharply, quickly. And I want you guys to remember that that is what happens when things go wrong, when cuts get priced into the market, when recession gets priced into the market, when investors really start to worry. Yields go down. Now, of course, that banking crisis was short-lived. The Fed came in with a facility that papered over losses and allowed the banking community to continue to operate. And what do you see happening to yields in the months subsequently? They went up significantly. Now, in the last month or so, we're starting to have a little bit of a growth scare. You know, you guys know that we really believe a recession is coming next year based off of a lot of economic slowdown metrics. Today, we're not talking about all of that, but we are looking at yields coming down as a sign that the growth outlook is dimming. Now, going on to the last chart here, this is a chart that I have refreshed from a recent episode. I talked about bull steepenings versus bear steepenings and that what we've seen in 2001, 2008 were big rallies in the 10-year part of the curve, meaning yields falling, while the curve steepening. So those are called bull steepening as yields are falling in the short end faster than they are in the long end, but they're falling across the curve. Right now, we're getting a steepening, but it's actually been a bear steepening. That's that green arrow that you see on the screen. But oh, wait, now yields are maybe starting to come back down and potentially getting back into this pattern of bull steepenings going into recessions and rate cuts. Now, why and how would the curve bull steepen? You would need to see two-year yields fall below 10-year yields while the two are falling. So something like a 3.5% two-year yield and a 4% 10-year yield. That would imply a 150 basis point move lower on two-year yields. Something like that could only happen with a huge, huge rate cut move priced into the market. Right now, rate cuts are starting to creep into March, June, July of 2024. We believe sometime mid-2024, the Fed might be looking at cutting rates. Really too early to say and very difficult to forecast. The thing that we are able to say is that the economic data right now is showing signs of weakness and that we should see inflation and growth prospects continue to decline which should give a bullish impulse to treasury securities and lower yields. Again, that is what we see over the next 6 to 12 months, but knowing what happens in the short term is always impossible to know, of course. So coming into the holiday season, keep in mind what's going on with the yield curve as well as the overall nominal level on two-year and 10-year treasury yields with Fed funds still at about five and a third, both market rates of twos and tens deeply inverted to Fed funds, tens still inverted to twos, 
What happens if twos come back lower than tens? It means rate cuts are coming. So we'll continue to watch the shape of the curve as well as the direction of rates. Thanks for sticking with us today at the Bitcoin layer. We hope you have an absolutely tremendous holiday season and make sure to check out our publication at thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe. Today's episode has been sponsored by River. River is a Bitcoin-only exchange with Lightning Network capability. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer. And one new feature that River has added, which we think is really cool, recurring purchases on the hour. So you can set a small amount to be purchased every single hour so that you are truly averaging your cost over a long time horizon. Make sure you check them out today, river.com slash TBL.